Welcome to the Work Camper Show, brought to you by WorkCamper.com. This podcast helps you discover how to finance your RV travel dreams. Each one of our episodes will introduce you to people who are already living the RV lifestyle or to work camping opportunities all around the U.S. You'll also learn how to hit the road the right way and make the most of every opportunity. Now let's turn over today's show to your host, Greg Gerber. Today we're going to turn the tables a bit and I'm going to be interviewed about my experience as a work camper. Today's episode is sponsored by Work Camper News. With its diamond and platinum membership tools, Work Camper News is much more than just a job listing website. When you put the tools of this professional service into action, you'll find out just how easy it can be to turn your work camping dreams into reality. The one-year memberships open the door to a one-stop shop for all things work camping. Being the original resource for work camping, you'll find the largest number of job listings, be able to connect with a community of work campers, and view resources compiled by experts who've been enjoying the RV lifestyle for many years. If you're serious about leading a successful and enjoyable work camping lifestyle, then a Diamond or Platinum membership is for you. You can even get started with a free 30-day trial by visiting www.workcamper.com forward slash trial. Embark on new adventures today with the support of Work Camper News behind you. I was living in Arizona in 2014 when I was working as the editor of a now-defunct online news platform called RV Daily Report. When attending the Quartzsite RV show in January that year, I bumped into two big-time advocates for work camping and the RV lifestyle. John and Kathy Huggins were founders of Living the RV Dream. They were also attending the Quartzsite show the same day I was there. I had arranged to interview them about their platform and how they got involved in RVing. After the interview was completed, they asked me two important questions. Why didn't I have a podcast of my own? And why wasn't I living and working out of an RV? Two months later, I had both. I was living full-time in a Winnebago motorhome and had launched a podcast called RV Industry News, for which I was traveling around the nation, interviewing RV dealers, manufacturers, suppliers, campground owners, and RVers themselves. In doing so, I had become a work camper. For this special episode of The Work Camper Show, the owners of WorkCamper.com, Jody and Luke Duquette interviewed me about my experiences and how I became connected to their organization. Here's the interview recorded a few weeks ago when I was visiting the Work Camper office in Heber Springs, Arkansas. Today we have a very special episode. Today we have a very special episode. Greg is being joined by myself, Jody Anderson Duquette, Executive Director of Work Camper News, as well as Luke Duquette, Technical Director here at Work Camper News. So we are so lucky. We actually have Greg Gerber here at the Work Camper News office today. And so we are making good use of our time and recording a few podcast episodes today. And one thing that I realize we have failed to do in our podcast is to interview Greg and learn about the man behind the mic. So today we are taking the host reins. And we're going to interview Greg Gerber and learn all about his history with the RV lifestyle and just a little bit more about who he is. For us, Greg has been working with Work Camper News for multiple years now. He does the podcast for us, of course, and he also writes some great content for WorkCamper.com and many articles that ran in the magazine that we published for years. And so he's been a great friend to us for many years, and we're happy to have him as part of our team. Absolutely. And Greg, 
Thanks so much for joining us today. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> yeah. Let's learn a little bit more about your background. So what was what were you doing before your entry into the RV lifestyle and what got you into the RV community? You've, you've played a lot of different roles, I know. Sure. I have a degree in public relations and I was working at a job for a nonprofit organization for four years before I decided I needed to change. And I always wanted to go into writing. I've, it's one of my skills and it's something that I wanted to do. I kept looking for jobs. And at the Wisconsin State Journal in Madison, Wisconsin, I was looking one Sunday and they were looking for a magazine editor in Fort Atkinson to work with recreation vehicles. And I thought, this is interesting. Yeah. And this was back when clip art was popular. Mm -hmm. And so to <laughs> draw attention to the ad, they had this clip art. So they had a, a motorcycle and ATV and they had an RV in there and a boat and all that other kind of stuff. And I thought, interesting. So all of these recreation vehicles, that's what I'll be working with. So I applied and I got interviewed and it worked out really well. It was a nice interview and they were I'm not sure because I didn't have any experience editing a magazine. I mm -hmm. edited a newspaper when I was in the Air Force. Almost the same thing. Yeah, almost the same yeah. thing. And yeah. it's like the deadline is much faster. True. <laughs> yeah. It's a weekly rather than a monthly. Wow. And so they weren't sure. And I left the interview thinking, I don't know what's going to happen. But I went home and I found that there was an RV show in Rockford that weekend. So I went down to the RV show and I walked around and I talked to the dealers who were there to ask them what the critical issues were facing the RV industry. And then I went back and I created an editorial calendar for one year based on the input I got from those oh, wow. dealers. That's and I sent it along with my thank you note to the company. Ooh, very yeah, proactive, that smart. That's exactly what it did. And they were impressed that I had this and I got called back in and was offered the job. So it worked out. But I started in the RV industry not even knowing a thing about RVs. I called them drivables and pull pullables <laughs> yeah, at that yeah. time. I like that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I like that. And uh, I did that for a number of years mm -hmm. uh, with a, a company that, that is no longer in business. They did not see the internet coming. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. And so we wanted to move some content online, but they were reluctant to do that. Mm -hmm. And back then, with a magazine, we would have a news section, but the news was six weeks old from the time right. that we... Signed off on the magazine until it arrived in mailboxes was six weeks. Wow. So it was silly to be doing that. A yeah. little bit. Right. Yeah. yeah. So we wanted to speed it up a little bit. They gave me a blog, which was made me the first industry blogger because I started sharing my opinions. And it was funny. They approached me about the idea of what it was because I had no idea what a blog was. And they said, you have to have Share your opinions. Would you have any opinions? And I said, I have no shortage of opinions at all. <laughs> and it worked out very well. Yeah. It was cool. But we saw the internet coming and the devastating effect it was going to have on publishing. Yeah. So I wanted mm -hmm. to start my own publication magazine that had more of a stronger presence on the internet. And we did that, but we did that during the Great Recession. And it was very hard to get that publication off the ground. And so it Published yeah. about seven issues and then folded. Okay. But that was a physical publication. That like was a physical saying. publication. Okay. Yeah. But we did yeah. a newsletter that went out three times a week that wow. had a couple of stories in it. It was sent by email. And so when that closed, I didn't know what to do. And I mm -hmm. had this idea that maybe I would start a daily newsletter on my own. Yeah. And 
just gather all the news I could find about the RV industry and the RVs and then mm-hmm. send it out every afternoon at four o'clock Eastern time. Yeah. And when I started that, there's a, some hesitation by people in the industry. A couple of people I had approached said there is no, there is not that much news in the RV industry mm-hmm. to warrant a daily publication. That was, I yeah. Said, I, yeah. I think you're wrong. I mm-hmm. think we're okay. going to try this. So I did started it with a borrowed list of 3,500 dealers from a guy that who was a consultant in the RV industry, mm-hmm. sent out the first issue, and we started doing a daily newsletter after that. What's funny is within six months, all three of the magazines in the RV industry had daily newsletters. Oh, it, wow. Yep, exactly. Wow. So it was really Interesting. cool. It but caught on. It, it caught on, yes. Yeah. yeah. And was, there really was enough news for a daily newsletter. There was more than enough yeah. news. We often had 20 stories wow. every day. And with the internet, like you said, that probably made it a little bit easier to to acquire different stories and information and connect maybe with more people than you had access to before. Yep, exactly. Cool. And the thing that I liked about magazine publishing is we had a cover story every month. So I would mm-hmm. fly to a different dealership every month and interview the dealer. And that was always fun yeah. to go to somebody's business and get a tour of that business and what as i would walk around i'd see things that i hadn't seen other places and i'd ask the dealer to explain what it was and that was what made them unique and what made them successful and i would report about that i'd write that in the feature story and share that with my audience and those were my favorite things to do and when i no longer had a magazine i couldn't do that yeah i was running press releases and interviewing people as i could well, and putting out something daily, the work is constant, nonstop. So right. it's, it's not, oh, sure, I'll take a couple days and go to XYZ location and have time to talk to people. It's like, no, I, I got to get this thing published today. There's a constant deadline. And so that definitely tightens your routine and your schedule a bit. Exactly. Yeah. So I started my online publication called RV Daily Report on April Fool's Day in 2009. Nice. Yes, it nice. was. Yeah. And it was very successful. It picked up very quickly. And we started, like I said, with that borrowed list of 3,500. And we were up to 15,000 subscribers within a couple of years. Awesome. Getting that daily newsletter. And anybody was able to subscribe and get the newsletter. It wasn't just RV dealerships. It was anyone interested in the RV lifestyle. That's right. Yeah. And I still maintain my opinion blogs and things like that. It was very popular and had a lot of discussion in the industry. People either liked it or they hated it. Right. It all depends. And did you do all of that on your own or did you have other folks helping you with it after a while? I did most of it on my own. Eventually I brought in some help. uh, And even later on, my youngest daughter was the one who was responsible for posting all of the news that Mm -hmm. we would find from the internet because we were scouring the internet for information about companies and RVs, et cetera. Yeah. And it was good. But it was lacking that connection of the interviews that I thought really separated my publication from the others. And I wanted to get back into that. And in 2014, mm-hmm. I was attending the Quartzsite show. Yeah. Yeah. You've been yeah. there? The Big Tent. The, the Big, Big Tent, tent yes. Yeah. January. And yeah. while I was there, I bumped into an RVing couple named John and Kathy Huggins. Yes. Living the RV Living dream. the RV dream. Yeah. Right. And so we sat down and talked for a while and they said, Greg, why aren't you doing a podcast? <laughs> and I said, that'd be a good idea. I should start that. And said, why aren't you doing this in an RV? And I'm like, 
Oh, I don't know. I've always thought of doing that. <laughs> so I bought a motorhome <laughs> at a Winnebago Adventure 2001, I think is what it was. 35 yeah. foot. And class A gas. Class A gas. Okay. And it was mm-hmm. ideal size for me. Yeah. It was just me to tootle around the country. And you towed a car? I did. I towed, yeah. a, towed a Jeep. That's yeah. a story I can tell about later. I actually blew it up on a highway in Texas. Literally <laughs> blew it up. Oh, <laughs> no. it, was, it was great. Oh, man. Uh, but oh, what man. it allowed me to do was now go to these businesses. And yeah. so I would travel around and interview RV dealers, manufacturers, suppliers, campground owners, RVers themselves, yeah. uh, people in the industry associations, et cetera, right in their businesses. And I could allow them. That would allow me to write feature stories and interview them for podcasts, et cetera. It worked out very well. And I did that for three years. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Because RV Daily Report never really had an official office. It's not like you guys had a commercial building Mm -mm. set up or somewhere. Like you said, you and the few staff that you had helping you occasionally could do that from anywhere thanks to the internet. That's right. I had moved from Wisconsin. Yeah. I had moved from Wisconsin to Arizona in 2009 Mm -hmm. and then just operated it out of my home. And anybody who helped me, a contractor who might help me with posting, et cetera, they just worked wherever they were in the country. Very cool. So I had somebody up in Wisconsin who helped on occasion, another person in Texas. So it just, it worked out well. Yeah. It was very cool. That's cool. Mm -hmm. All right. I know you're not doing RV Daily Report anymore. After those few years of adventures, what's the rest of the story, Greg? It was interesting. While I was (laughs) on the road living the RV lifestyle. It opened my eyes to some serious problems in the RV industry. Sure. I could not get my RV fixed and I didn't have the skill to do it myself. Mm -hmm. So you try to find a dealership that would work on a motorhome. That's difficult because not everybody works on a motorhome. And then you had to find out, you make the appointments weeks in advance. And I was moving every three to five days for three years. I had been to... Every one of the lower 48 states at least once during that three years, many times twice. Wow. And it was very cool. But just getting the RV fixed was a problem. And RVs, they break. Oh, man. Rumble and thunder down the road. Yep. And things happen. Yeah. So that was a problem. And the fact that you just couldn't get them fixed was a real downer. And then with the campgrounds, I had noticed a shift taking place in which many campgrounds were eliminating overnight spaces and were converting them to seasonal sites. So that made it more difficult for people who were traveling to get an RV or to get a campsite. And so they had to make their reservations months in advance in order to do that. And so I would plan three months out as to where I was going to stay. Yeah. And I said, this is taking the fun out of RVing because Mm -hmm. It's a lot of work. It becomes a lot of work. Exactly. Yeah. And the RV Industry Association with their Go RVing campaign were always promoting having a hard week and hopping in the RV and heading down the road and having a fun time and relieving all the stress through your RV travel. You just couldn't do that anymore. Right. And then the fingertip to fingertip where the campgrounds were packing more and more RVs in there. Yeah. Yeah. Slide to slide. Yep. The Go RVing commercials were showing these people off in the wilderness and <laughs> in this beautiful open areas. And right. th- that's not what campgrounds yeah. were. So No, I, not campgrounds. Yeah. Boondocking, sure. But exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I There was a problem with the industry and in getting parts. The people 
were waiting weeks to get things fixed because they couldn't get the parts back. And people were buying new RVs and spending the first two years in a dealership fixing all the problems. Mm. Yeah. So I wrote about that. I developed a series of eight editorials that I named the RV Death Spiral. And I I addressed each of these things, and I said that if the industry did not address them, there would be no viability in the RV industry in 20 years. Sure. It would would be, it would collapse under its own weight. Yeah. Yep. Of the problems. Yep. The consumers love that. I had 250,000 people read that series. Yeah. Everybody could relate to it. Oh, yeah. If you owned an RV, you could. Yes. Yeah. But it ticked off some. Very powerful people in the industry who did not like that. Yeah. And they actually orchestrated a boycott on my advertisers and said, if you're going to support him, we're not going to support you Mm -hmm. by putting your products on our RVs. Yeah. And so they all, one at a time, while I was out on a cruise ship, I started getting these. I took two weeks off every year because I needed the break. And that particular year I was on it a cruise in the Caribbean and then started getting emails and phone calls from advertisers pulling out and I lost 13 advertisers within about four or five weeks. And it was just very hard. Terrible way to have a vacation. It was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I eventually sold RV daily report to a Mm -hmm. good friend of mine who thought he could run it and he bought it at the time he was starting the national RV training Academy. Oh, that's right. Because Terry Cooper saw what I wrote in the RV death spiral and yeah. said, he's right. We do not have enough technicians to properly repair these things. So he started a business to train them. Mm-hmm. And I guess he saw RV daily report as a way to promote that and, and to maintain it. So he bought it, Yeah, but he was so busy doing these other things that right. RV daily report didn't get the attention that it do. Yeah. The editor wasn't as aggressive as I may have been in sure. covering some things. And it's just, didn't work. So I yeah. brought it, bought it back a, a year and a half later okay. mm-hmm. to, yeah, yeah. and tried to make a go of it and found that the industry had changed even further yeah. in the year and a half that I had been gone. And it just, there was no fun in it anymore. And I eventually right. blew up RV daily report, took it offline and uh, just ended the whole thing. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah. And that's a lot of work. And for those folks who maybe you've never ran a website and you don't know how that things work. Like running a website isn't inexpensive. Like it costs right. money to do the hosting and maintain all the things and the security and the database of your subscribers and all of that stuff. Not it's, to mention sending the emails. Exactly. And, yes. Exactly. Yeah. So it, so yes, that's, that's why there are ads and things like that on new sites and stuff. And, right. And so you have to have that income in order to keep going. And most of us don't want to work for free. Right. You want to be able to eat and live and all that stuff too. Yeah. Having the advertisers pull, it's not like you had this source of funds coming in from somewhere else to support you. Yeah. Without the advertisers and the funding, it would be hard. And just the attitude of, you know, the community and the industry in general, that would be a struggle to continue going. Exactly. I could have laid off the people who were helping me with the posting and things like that, but then I would have been doing it all. Yeah. And that just... It was not fun anymore. So I I stopped doing that. And fortunately, the folks at NRVTA said that they would hire me to Mm -hmm. help run, write press releases and things like that and start a podcast for them. And then you folks approached me and said, hey, wait a minute. We need help too. We know who you are. Yes. And so I got to start this podcast. 
and mm-hmm. also do some writing for the magazine. Mm-hmm. And it was, it's been a very fun partnership for many years. Good. Yep. Good. Yeah. So. And are you doing anything else in addition to the work you do for us and, and our VTA? I started a new platform a few years ago because after everything blew up with RV Trade Digest or with RV Daily Report, mm-hmm. I went into a funk. I really yeah. didn't know what I was going to do. That was my sole purpose for a bunch of years. Yeah. And so my entire life was wrapped around doing that. And when that went away, I really didn't have anything that I could do. And so it went into a very dark time and mm-hmm. then COVID hit. Oh, no. It pushed me into isolation and yeah. everybody else was in isolation and all yeah. this kind of crap that was going on. And I really didn't know what I was going to do. And so I talked with a mentor of mine in 2020 and 2021. And he, I was bearing my soul about things that I could do and wanted to do. And he said, I think a lot of people over 50 struggle with those kinds of things. They are pushed out of jobs that they love, or they just feel that there's more to life than what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And so I started another platform called Forward from 50 to help men and women over the age of 50 to live more purposeful lives by pursuing things they're passionate about. So I've been interviewing those folks and learning more about purpose and trying to help people identify a purpose for their life. That's awesome. Yeah. It is. So cool. Yeah. Cool. So cool. And is that, let's see, it's what's all, it's a website. So it's a website with articles and a podcast that you're doing? Yep. That's what we're doing for that. Okay. And so so what's the website then? Forwardfrom50.com. Okay. And is it five zero or 50 spelled out? Five zero. Thank you for asking. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You always got to clarify those. That's right. Yeah. But yeah. That's cool. Still, my time in the RV industry was a lot of fun. I met some great people and had some great experiences. Just being able to travel around and visit all 48 lower states. There's a lot of America to see. Oh my gosh. It's so much more vast than you think. Exactly. We were surprised as Luke and I traveled around just the large expanses. If you spend so much time maybe in an area that's a bigger city, you just think, oh, there's lots of people and businesses everywhere all the time. And especially if you start going west, Mm -hmm. it's just, we haven't seen anything for miles. There's nothing out here. And you just don't realize that until you start driving down the highways and byways Mm -hmm. of the country. Exactly. And that was one of the mistakes that I made when I was living the RV lifestyle is because I was moving every three to five days. I really didn't get an opportunity to enjoy that area. And work campers, they have the opportunity to spend an entire season in one area. Mm -hmm. So they explore all of the things to do in that area. They get to explore the foods and try all these different things. And they just do it on a much slower pace. And so I'm envious of Mm -hmm. the work campers who can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. No, I'm with you. That is like moving that often. It's a lot of work just to set up and the takedown of the uh, RV specifically right. even is a lot of work. And then, like you said, finding and lining up the campsites and figuring mm-hmm. out your route. And obviously there's apps and technology that make a little bit, you know, makes that a little bit easier now, but it is still a lot of work. So when people are considering the RV lifestyle for their future, they're like, oh, we're going to move all the time and week to week. And I'm like, okay, give that a try. But mm-hmm. You may want to consider a slower right. pace. Yeah. They say, we're going to spend a week in every state, and it's okay. Hmm. That will work in Rhode Island. 
Exactly. Because there's enough to do in a week in Rhode Island. But you get to any other state, Wisconsin, even Arkansas, there's enough to do something new every day for more than a week. Absolutely. So it's just, it's hard to move that quickly into, you you really want to enjoy that that experience and slow it down, folks. A lot of people get into the RV lifestyle and they do the same thing I did. They move quickly to see all that they can, and then they slow it down a bit and go back to their favorite places and really hang out there for a little while. Yeah. But I learned some very valuable lessons mm-hmm. the hard way right. while I was RVing. One of them was, I remember this distinctly, in Kansas City, I pulled into a KOA, and I'm in the back. I pulled into the campsite, and I'm unhooking my tow vehicle. And for some reason, it's not coming out very quickly. Yeah. And it had done that in the past. So I knew what to do. And I went inside and I got a hammer and a screwdriver. <laughs> and I start. Been there, done the, that. Yep, you've done that. <laughs> Trying to knock the pins out. I did. And when the second pin came out, the vehicle started rolling away. Oh, no. Because oh. I had not forgot to set the brake and all that kind of stuff. And so we're on a flat or we're on a hill and I'm sitting there holding this, you know, Jeep. Uh, trying to prevent it from going, looking around to see if somebody could help me and there right. was nobody available. Uh, and I had a brilliant idea. All right, I'm going to let it go and I'm going to open the car door and I'm going to reach down and I'm going to press the button on the brake buddy so that it would extend, uh, just stop the vehicle. Yeah. So I did that, pressed the button and there was a delay of a couple of seconds, Uh-oh. right? And so okay. it wasn't moving. So I jumped in, tried to move everything out of the way and I'm coming down the road and there are two fifth wheels at the end of this driveway yeah. And I just turned the car, the wheel as far as I could and made yeah. a big arc and missed the fifth wheels oh. by about five to six feet and then rolled down the road a little bit until it came to a stop. Oh wow. It was very fortunate. Jeez. Yeah. See, they don't teach you how to do this kind of stuff when you buy an RV. Yeah. <laughs> it no. is a lot of yeah. trial by error. Oh, yeah. Hmm? Oh, There's yeah. a lot to learn. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Checklists and stuff are, are so important sometimes. And so, especially if yeah. you're a solo, it's all on you. So you got to do all the things. That's a yeah. very good point because yeah. that was another problem. I was camping in Maine and I was at an oceanfront campground and I was pulling out on Friday of Labor Day weekend. Mm-hmm. And I did not have a spotter or anything like that. And in the process of doing that, I backed over the connection mm. to the water connection and Oops. water. Yeah, spewed out like a geyser. Oh, boy. And the only way to fix that was to shut off the water to the entire park. Ah. So I'm sure the campground owner was just thrilled to death to have this experienced industry guy Uh. causing problems on Labor Day weekend. (laughs) It's just the way it goes. You just don't know. That's right. But I had also mentioned the story about blowing up my Jeep. Yeah. And I was traveling through Texas and pulled over at a campground in Fort Sumner for the night. Yeah. And I left everything intact and just went in, took a nap or slept for a little bit and got back in, turned on the car and started driving down the road because I had never changed anything. Right. I didn't think that was going to be a problem. However, Mm. all of the oil had settled out of the transmission. I had to start the car to get the oil working through the gears and let it run for a little while. Mm -hmm. I did not do that. Uh So I'm about three, four miles down the road and I hear a loud bang. Mm. And I look back and there's all kinds of stuff on the highway. So I pull over quickly and I look 
and I had actually blown a hole in the floor of the Jeep. Jeez. Yes. Wow. The transfer case blew up and it right. took out the transmission and all of the electrical oh, lines, the gas line and everything else like that. Ugh. So it just died right there on the highway. There is nothing I could do. Oh my it, it away and it's resting in pieces somewhere right. in Texas. Yes. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Got to exercise the gears first. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. again, they don't teach you that really. Exactly. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of things to think about. When you're trying to set up and take down an RV, that you need to devote your full attention to doing that. You yep. can't be distracted with other people asking you questions or anything like that. Right. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. We've never had anything like that happen, have oh, we, Jody? Oh, no. <laughs> never blew up a car, but. No. Uh, Things are going to happen. And that's the thing, everybody. Like, this happens to everyone. Yeah. Like, everyone's got a story. You're not a bad RVer because XYZ happened. This is just natural. So don't be too hard on yourselves. And, and yeah, it's yep. easy to get frustrated with RVing. I'm sure you had your ups and downs as yes. everyone does, yep. you know? Yeah. So it was just, was it three years then you did I the did it for RV? three years. Yep. And then I gave it up when I sold RV Daily Report. The motorhome was actually a business asset. So it had to go away. Gotcha. But I'm still mm. considering, I've been interviewing work campers for three years now, and yeah. I keep hearing their experiences and the jobs that they're doing. And it's just so exciting to me that I'm tempted to get another RV just so I can experience the work camping lifestyle. Because some of these jobs that I've been hearing about and talking to people about just sound like they'd be so much fun to work for a season. That's awesome. Yep. Yeah. I think it's time. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's time. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So, Hopefully someday you'll get back into Hopefully it. Hopefully someday. And so, then yeah. also Work Camper does provide opportunities for people who don't have RVs. That's true. Right? So yeah, that's we've true. been talking a lot about well. that. Yeah, this week, I think. And it's usually about 12 to 15% of the job listings that we see coming through WorkCamper.com yep. as some kind of housing provided, whether that be dormitory style, which I know mm -hmm. you weren't as, I don't know about living in a dormitory, but sometimes it's a right. park model. Sometimes it is an RV and or apartment or a house. So yeah, absolutely. Folks don't have to have an RV to get started work camping. It is the majority of folks are traveling in them, but that's great. Yeah. That's this has been fun, Jody. I really appreciate it. Yeah. yeah well, we appreciate you, Greg. It's so great to have you doing these podcasts for workcamper.com. And it's great that you could be here in person with us today to have a nice little sit down conversation with us. So. Yeah. And now everybody knows a little bit more about you as they're listening to you talk to others. They go, oh yeah, this guy, he's RV too. He knows what's up. That's right. Thank <laughs> you again for doing this. All right. Thanks, Greg. Take care. Bye-bye, everybody. It seems rather silly to thank myself for being a guest on a show I hosted for almost four years. So I'll say that I was thankful for the opportunity to share my story with other work campers. There are a few takeaways from my own experience. First, despite the work camper movement being 36 years old, many people still don't understand what work camping is all about. I was an influential editor of a major RV industry news publication, and I still wasn't sure until I encountered John and Kathy Huggins at the RV rally. In fact, I had published press releases from Work Camper News for 14 years, but I didn't meet anyone from the organization until I was work camping myself. When work campers describe their experiences with others who are involved in or learning about the RV lifestyle, that's how work camping continues to grow. The second takeaway is that people think work camping only involves working at campgrounds in exchange for a free RV site. 
While that may have been the case when WorkCamper News first started in 1987, the advancement of laptop computers and, more importantly, cellular internet service has opened the door to many, many more WorkCamping opportunities. We define WorkCamping as doing any type of work while living in an RV. That includes paid jobs as well as volunteer gigs. Many people today operate businesses of their own from an RV while experiencing a variety of cultures, historic places, and scenic areas. Personally, I think WorkCamper News has done more than any other company or RV industry advertising campaign to drive down the average age of RV ownership. For generations, many people have dreamed of owning an RV and traveling around the country someday when they retire. When I started working in the RV industry as a journalist in 2000, the average age of first ownership was 65. Thanks to making short-term jobs available to thousands of RVers, more people than ever are opting to embrace the RV lifestyle while they are still young enough to truly enjoy everything the experience has to offer. It was fun being interviewed about my own experience on a podcast I typically host, and I appreciate Jody and Luke Duquette for coming up with the idea. Today's episode was sponsored by Work Camper News. Since 1987, they've been helping businesses of all types find and recruit work campers who serve in a variety of positions around the country to help further the mission of a great business. When you become an employer member at WorkCamper.com, you'll have resources and support to help you develop and implement your work camper recruiting strategy. In today's market, it's more challenging than ever to keep the flow of applicants coming in. WorkCamper News recommends advertising your current and future WorkCamping job openings frequently throughout the year, as well as scheduling some time to regularly search the WorkCamper resume database because new WorkCampers are joining daily. WorkCampers like to plan many months in advance, so now is the time to take action in developing your WorkCamper team. You can learn more and download a quick start guide for employers at www.workcamper.com forward slash employer. That's all for this week's show. Next week, we'll be talking about the features and benefits of a WorkCamper membership. If you'd like to share your own experience as a WorkCamper, I'd be happy to interview you. Just send me an email at podcast at workcamper.com to get it set up. Hope you're enjoying a great start to your summer RVing experiences. Thanks for listening.